Unshackled of Pacific Garden Mission presents History's Greatest Sermons, where we share the personal history of godly men who brought forth the truth of the gospel in powerful sermons to a world long ago. And now, here are your hosts, Tim Lundeen and Kelly Robbins. Hey, Kelly, welcome back. And you, Tim. Uh, this is a part two. Mm-hmm. Uh, just fair warning to those listeners out there. This is a part two, and it's quite the part two. Yeah. We're going to be hearing again from Jonathan Edwards and his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. So for those just joining us, tell us a little bit about Jonathan Edwards. Well, he was born in 1703. We right. mentioned that. Right. But he married fairly young, and he had 11 kids. Wow. So it, it, it had, he had to ask for a raise from his church. He because, did have uh, to ask Grace Roman's church. You know, they didn't like kids. that very much. No. <laughs> <laughs> and he even got fired from the church in which he served the longest. Right. He wrote over 70 books and other articles, letters, etc. And this one thing is the thing he's known for. But I, I absolutely know that he is someone that pastors and preachers go back to. Oh, yeah. yeah there was a right. baseline established now, here. Jonathan Edwards died in 1758. He was only 55 years old. Wow, you don't get that. No. Right? We're going to dive right back in. We don't get a lot of time to chat today because you want to hear Jonathan Edwards. So let's hear part two of Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. You are ten thousand times more abominable in his eyes than the most hateful venomous serpent is in ours. You have offended him infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did his prince. And yet it is nothing but his hand that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. It is to be ascribed to nothing else that you did not go to hell the last night, that you was suffered to awake again in this world after you closed your eyes to sleep. And there is no other reason to be given why you have not dropped into hell since you arose in the morning, but that God's hand has held you up. There is no other reason to be given why you have not gone to hell, since you have sat here in the house of God, provoking his pure eyes by your sinful, wicked manner of attending his solemn worship. Yea, there is nothing else that is to be given as a reason why you do not this very moment drop down into hell. No, sinner! Consider the fearful danger you are in. It is a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit full of the fire of wrath that you are held over in the hand of that God whose wrath is provoked and incensed as much against you as against many of the damned in hell. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe it and burn it asunder, and you have no interest in any mediator and nothing to lay hold of to save yourself, nothing to keep off the flames of wrath, nothing of your own, nothing that you have ever done, nothing that you can do to induce God to spare you one moment, and consider here more particularly, one, whose wrath it is. It is the wrath of the infinite God. If it were only the wrath of man, though it were the most potent prince, 
it would be comparatively little to be regarded. The wrath of kings is very much dreaded, especially of absolute monarchs who have the possessions and lives of their subjects wholly in their power to be disposed of at their mere will. Proverbs 22, the fear of a king is as the roaring of a lion. Whoso provoketh him to anger sinneth against his own soul. The subject that very much enrages an arbitrary prince is liable to suffer the most extreme torments that human art can invent or human power can inflict. But the greatest earthly potentates, in their greatest majesty and strength, and when clothed in their greatest terrors, are but feeble, despicable worms of the dust in comparison of the great and almighty creator and king of heaven and earth. It is but little that they can do when most enraged and when they have exerted the utmost of their fury. All the kings of the earth before God are as grasshoppers. They are nothing and less than nothing. Both their love and their hatred is to be despised. The wrath of the great king of kings is as much more terrible than theirs as his majesty is greater. Luke 12, 4, 5, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Two, it is the fierceness of his wrath that you are exposed to. We often read of the fury of God as in Isaiah 9:18 according to their deeds accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries so isaiah 66:15 for behold the lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire and in many other places. So, Revelation 19.15, we read of the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. The words are exceeding terrible. If it had only been said, the wrath of God, the words would have implied that which is infinitely dreadful. But it is the fierceness and wrath of God, the fury of God, the fierceness of Jehovah. Oh, how dreadful must that be! Who can utter or conceive what such expressions carry in them? But it is also the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, as though there would be a very great manifestation of his almighty power in what the fierceness of his wrath should inflict, as though omnipotence should be, as it were, enraged and exerted, as men are wont to exert their strength in the fierceness of their wrath. Oh, then, what will be the consequence? What will become of the poor worms that shall suffer it? Whose hands can be strong, and whose heart can endure? To what a dreadful, inexpressible, inconceivable death of misery must the poor creature be sunk who shall be the subject of this? Consider this, you that are here present, that yet remain in an unregenerate state, that God will execute the fierceness of his anger implies that he will inflict wrath 
without any pity. When God beholds the ineffable extremity of your case and sees your torment to be so vastly disproportioned to your strength and sees how your poor soul is crushed and sinks down, as it were, into an infinite gloom, he will have no compassion upon you. He will not forbear the executions of his wrath or in the least lighten his hand. There shall be no moderation or mercy, nor will God then at all stay his rough wind. He will have no regard to your welfare, nor be at all careful lest you should suffer too much in any other sense than only that you shall not suffer beyond what strict justice requires. Nothing shall be withheld, because it is so hard for you to bear. Ezekiel 8, 18 Therefore will I also deal in fury. Mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity, and though they cry in mine ears with a loud voice, yet I will not hear them. Now God stands ready to pity you. This is a day of mercy. You may cry now with some encouragement of obtaining mercy. But when once the day of mercy is past, your most lamentable and dolorous cries and shrieks will be in vain. You will be wholly lost and thrown away of God as to any regard to your welfare. God will have no other use to put you to but to suffer misery. You shall be continued in being to no other end. For you will be a vessel of wrath fitted to destruction, and there will be no other use of this vessel but to be filled full of wrath. God will be so far from pitying you when you cry to him that it is said he will only laugh and mock. Proverbs 1, 25, 26. How awful are those words. Isaiah 63, 3 which are the words of the great God. I will tread them in mine anger and will trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. It is perhaps impossible to conceive of words that carry in them greater manifestations of these three things, contempt and hatred and fierceness of indignation. If you cry to God to pity you, he will be so far from pitying you in your doleful case or showing you the least regard or favor that instead of that, he will only tread you underfoot. And though he will know that you cannot bear the weight of omnipotence treading upon you, yet he will not regard that, but he will crush you under his feet without mercy. He will crush out your blood and make it fly, and it shall be sprinkled on his garments so as to stain all his raiment. He will not only hate you, but he will have you in the utmost contempt. No place shall be thought fit for you, but under his feet to be trodden down as the mire of the streets." The misery you are exposed to is that which God will inflict to that end, that he might show what that wrath of Jehovah is. 
God hath had it on his heart to show to angels and men both how excellent his love is and how terrible his wrath is. Sometimes earthly kings have a mind to show how terrible their wrath is by the extreme punishments they would execute on those that would provoke them. Nebuchadnezzar, that mighty and haughty monarch of the Chaldean Empire, was willing to show his wrath when enraged with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and accordingly gave orders that the burning, fiery furnace should be heated seven times hotter than it was before. Doubtless it was raised to the utmost degree of fierceness that human art could raise it. But the great God is also willing to show his wrath and magnify his awful majesty and mighty power in the extreme sufferings of his enemies. Romans 9.22 What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endure with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? And seeing this is his design, and what he has determined, even to show how terrible the unrestrained wrath, the fury and fierceness of Jehovah is, he will do it to effect. There will be something accomplished and brought to pass that will be dreadful with a witness. When the great and angry God hath risen up and executed his awful vengeance on the poor sinner, and the wretch is actually suffering the infinite weight and power of his indignation, then will God call upon the whole universe to behold that awful majesty and mighty power that is to be seen in it. Isaiah 33, 12-14 And the people shall be as the burnings of lime, as thorns cut up shall they be burnt in the fire. Hear ye that are far off what I have done, and ye that are near acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid, fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. Thus it will be with you that are in an unconverted state, if you continue in it. The infinite might and majesty and terribleness of the omnipotent God shall be magnified upon you in the ineffable strength of your torments. You shall be tormented in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And when you shall be in this state of suffering, the glorious inhabitants of heaven shall go forth and look on the awful spectacle that they may see what the wrath and fierceness of the Almighty is. And when they have seen it, they will fall down and adore that great power and majesty. Isaiah 16, 23, 24, And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, Shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord, and they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of men that have transgressed against me. For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. For it is everlasting wrath. It would be dreadful to suffer this fierceness and wrath of Almighty God one moment, but you must suffer it to all eternity. There will be no end to this exquisite, horrible misery. When you look forward, you shall see a long forever, a boundless duration before you, which will swallow up your thoughts and amaze your soul. 
and you will absolutely despair of ever having any deliverance, any end, any mitigation, any rest at all. You will know certainly that you must wear out long ages, millions and millions of ages, in wrestling and conflicting with this almighty merciless vengeance. And then, when you have so done, when so many ages have actually been spent by you in this manner, you will know that is all but a point to what remains, so that your punishment will indeed be infinite. Oh, who can express what the state of a soul in such circumstances is? All that we can possibly say about it gives but a very feeble, faint representation of it. It is inexpressible and inconceivable, for who knows the power of God's anger? How dreadful is the state of those that are daily and hourly in the danger of this great wrath and infinite misery. But this is the dismal case of every soul in this congregation that has not been born again. However moral and strict, sober and religious they may otherwise be. Oh, that you would consider it, whether you be young or old. There is reason to think that there are many in this congregation now hearing this discourse that will actually be the subjects of this very misery to all eternity. We know not who they are, or in what seats they sit, or what thoughts they now have. It may be that they are now at ease and hear all of these things without much disturbance, and are now flattering themselves that they are not the persons promising themselves that they shall escape. If we knew that there was one person, and but one, in the whole congregation that was to be the subject of this misery, what an awful thing would it be to think of? If we knew who it was, what an awful sight would it be to see such a person? How might all the rest of the congregation lift up a lamentable and bitter cry over him? But alas, instead of one, how many is it likely will remember this discourse in hell? And it would be a wonder if some that are now present should not be in hell in a very short time, even before this year is out. And it would be no wonder if some persons that now sit here in some seats of this meeting house, in health, quiet and secure, should be there before tomorrow morning. Those of you that finally continue in a natural condition that shall keep out of hell longest will be there in a little time. Your damnation does not slumber. It will come swiftly and in all probability very suddenly upon many of you. You have reason to wonder that you are not already in hell. It is doubtless the case of some whom you have seen and known that never deserved hell more than you, and that heretofore appeared as likely to have been now alive as you. Their case is past all hope. They are crying in extreme misery and perfect despair. But here you are in the land of the living and in the house of God and have an opportunity to obtain salvation. What would not those poor damned hopeless souls give for one day's opportunity such as you now enjoy? And now you have an extraordinary opportunity. 
a day wherein Christ has thrown the door of mercy wide open and stands in calling and crying with a loud voice to poor sinners, a day wherein many are flocking to him and pressing into the kingdom of God. Many are daily coming from the east, west, north, and south. Many that were very lately in the same miserable condition that you are in are now in a happy state with their hearts filled with love to him who has loved them and washed them from their sins in his own blood and rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. How awful is it to be left behind at such a day to see so many others feasting while you are pining and perishing to see so many rejoicing and singing for joy of heart while you have cause to mourn for sorrow of heart and howl for vexation of spirit how can you rest one moment in such a condition are not your souls as precious as the souls of the people at Suffield, where they are flocking from day to day to Christ? Are there not many here who have lived long in the world and are not to this day born again, and so are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and have done nothing ever since they have lived but treasure up wrath against the day of wrath? Oh, sirs, your case, in an especial manner, is extremely dangerous. Your guilt and hardness of heart is extremely great. Do you not see how generally persons of your years are passed over and left in the present remarkable and wonderful dispensation of God's mercy? You had need to consider yourselves and awake thoroughly out of sleep. You cannot bear the fierceness and wrath of the infinite God. And you, young men and young women, will you neglect this precious season which you now enjoy when so many others of your age are renouncing all youthful vanities and flocking to Christ? You especially have now an extraordinary opportunity. But if you neglect it, it will soon be with you as with those persons who spent all the precious days of youth in sin and are now come to such a dreadful pass in blindness and hardness. And you, children, who are unconverted, do not you know that you are going down to hell to bear the dreadful wrath of that God who is now angry with you every day and every night? Will you be content to be the children of the devil when so many other children in the land are converted and are become the holy and happy children of the King of Kings? And let every one of you that is yet out of Christ and hanging over the pit of hell, whether they be old men and women, or middle-aged, or young people, or little children, now hearken to the loud calls of God's word and providence. This acceptable year of the Lord, a day of such great favors to some, will doubtless be a day of remarkable vengeance to others. Men's hearts harden, and their guilt increases apace at such a day as this, if they neglect their souls. And never was there so great danger of such persons being given up to hardness of heart and blindness of mind. God seems now to be hastily gathering in his elect in all parts of the land, and probably the greater part of adult persons that ever shall be saved will be brought in now in a little time, and that it will be as it was on the great outpouring of the Spirit upon the Jews in the Apostles' days,
the election will obtain, and the rest will be blinded. If this should be the case with you, you will eternally curse this day, and will curse the day that ever you was born to see such a season of the pouring out of God's Spirit, and will wish that you had died and gone to hell before you had seen it. Now, undoubtedly it is, as it was in the days of John the Baptist, the axe in an extraordinary manner laid at the root of the trees, that every tree which brings not forth good fruit may be hewn down and cast into the fire. Therefore, let every one that is out of Christ now awake and fly from the wrath to come, the wrath of Almighty God is now undoubtedly hanging over a great part of this congregation. Let everyone fly out of Sodom. Haste and escape for your lives. Look not behind you. Escape to the mountain, lest you be consumed. That was Jonathan Edwards, portrayed by Jeff Parker. Oh, my word. Wow. <laughs> Don't hear sermons like that today. No. At one point, he threatens the congregation. I'm sure you he heard did. that. He did. I heard it. <laughs> and, and we're not used to that as no, listeners. No. So that's an interesting moment to process. Yeah. But he does. He, he really does not let them escape the reality. He does not let them off the hook in yeah. any way. And we've gotten good at that, Tim, letting ourselves off the hook. We've reduced hell to a, a hot place moved to Arizona kind of stuff, right? <laughs> you know, where I might be a little warm, but it'll be okay because oh. I love the pool. And we've forgotten. The, the threat was, uh, I wonder if some of you in this congregation won't even wake up tomorrow. Yes. He's like, I'm surprised you even woke up today. This, it's <laughs> right. like, wow. And I think no. he was doing it to portray the severity of our condition. Yeah. Like you said, we've grown so apathetic toward our standing yeah. before a righteous and perfect God that we think we're we're... We're, we're good enough. Right. And and I live in the Midwest. Yeah. And so we don't get much but tornadoes and heavy thunderstorms. But there is a fault line here in the Midwest. And what we forget is, you know, if that thing were to crack, everything yeah. underneath me would give way. Yeah. And so we've become inoculated to it not being just fine tomorrow, too. Mm. You know, there's also a children's message hidden inside there. You know, some churches like to do a little kid's message. Mm -hmm. And he says... And you children who are unconverted, don't you know you're bound to bear the dreadful wrath of that God who is now angry with you day and night? Oh. What a children's message. <laughs> well, no, because we tell them that they're in the arms of Jesus and safe and you can sleep. And this message seems to come against that in its urgency. How do we reconcile those mm -hmm. two? That's a great question. And the reconciliation is God's very same hand is that which keeps you safe for a time. Yeah. We mentioned that uh, at the tail end of the first episode, which I hope you go and get a chance to listen to the first half of the sermon, mm -hmm. that, 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 that uh, the hand, that angry hand of God is the restraining hand, mm -hmm. not the cudgeling hand. Yes. You know, he's, he's holding back, back his wrath for us yes. to, is, is a, is a sign of mercy. In love. In love. Mm -hmm. Now, I appreciate the great sermons and the pastors and ministers who've gone before us. I know we're encouraged by them. Um. What I one thing that that came to my mind was at this time of the this first great awakening when this sermon became a catalyst of sorts that really changed a lot of hearts and minds. It did. 
there was another kind of rhetoric going on that some theologians and academics like to talk about pre-revolutionary war. Mm. A lot of people were talking about America as the new promised land. Oh. I don't know if you've heard this, right? Yes. This idea of not that God had abandoned Israel or the people, but like, you know, we are also a people on a journey and we've gone through the wilderness and we're in this new promised land and mm-hmm. we, we are the new chosen people of God. It's not an imagery that I that a lot of people like, no. but it was being talked about. And in some pulpits, it was preached. Sure. And then here's Jonathan Edwards. Now, you remember, this sermon is in the context of Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35, which is a passage expressing the vengeance of God on unbelieving Israelites, because all the other sermons were, look at this beautiful land we have and and uh, down with the British, of course, you know, and, yes. uh, and all this like we are the new chosen people of God. And Jonathan Edwards says, you know, when they were unbelieving, God was vengeful towards them and, and promised his wrath on them. And he's going to promise his wrath on us, too. We can't just pretend we're this new promised people of God anyway. Yeah. No such. That's the thing. No such. So realize your position, much as that spider's web, yeah, yeah. which cannot hold back the landslide. Yeah. The, uh, something I'd like to walk away with here, it is a, it's a complicated sermon, but it's a message we all desperately need to hear. And I found another thing I found myself thinking, especially after this second part, was that this same sermon could be preached today, word for word, mm-hmm. but it would sound very different. It sure would. I hope we don't just set it aside and put it on a dusty shelf because we don't like to think about it. We don't like to talk about it. We need to return to these images Mm -hmm. because they should draw us closer to God and the loving arms of our Savior. Yeah. This has been History's Greatest Sermons, an unshackled production of Pacific Garden Mission, produced and directed by Timothy Gregory. To hear more unshackled content, you can download our app. Get it for free at any of the major app stores. For more information, visit unshackled.org. Join us next time as we experience another one of history's greatest sermons.